0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, the Pens and Caps uh, tried to extend uh, their win streaks last night. We'll look at last night's action on the high school hardwood. NFL free agency opened yesterday, and oh boy, was there a flurry of activity. The Ravens and Steelers got pilfered and Washington got a quarterback. And we will start our uh, preview, breakdown, call it what you want, of the NCAA tournament as we break down the West region. And we'll do one region each day uh, leading up into Friday's first round. Remember, it's Friday, not Thursday. Usually it's Thursday, Thursday. But there's nothing usual about anything anymore. Usually, we would be talking about a couple of the first four games today. But such is not the case. All four first four games are being played Thursday. Then we start the first round on Friday. So we'll break down a region per day starting today. With the West Region. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the Morning Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show as always. Let's run down the list. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. uh, Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Like the pages. Follow the pages. At any point, at any time, feel free to drop me a line. Got a question, a comment, an opinion on anything we talk about. Just leave me a message. Uh, The DMs are open, as the kids say these days. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. All right. A lot to get to. So uh, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with girls high school basketball. Where Hampshire edged Kaiser 40-39. In Romney, Hannah Alt had 11 points. And Gracie Fields had 10 for the Trojans, who are now 5 and one Madeline Broadwater had a game high of 15 for Kaiser, which struggled from the free throw line. They made just seven of 19 foul shots, which is very important when you lose a game by one. Elsewhere, Gilmer County outgunned Tucker County 75-66. And as we mentioned yesterday, the Frankfurt at North Marion game was postponed. On the boys side, Tanner Townsend. Had 20 points to lead Pendleton County over East Hardy, 65-44. Justin Teets had a game-high 21 for EH. In a very low-scoring affair, Hedgesville got by Hampshire 32-31. And University rolled past Spring Mills, 63-34. Tonight on the boys' slate, Preston is at Tucker County. And East Hardy uh, travels to Berkeley Springs. The Frankfurt at Kaiser game. It was supposed to be a triple header: freshman, JV, varsity. They are all postponed. This Friday, Frankfurt at Moorfield also postponed. That game rescheduled for uh, next Tuesday at Moorfield. Uh, the Kaiser uh, contest not yet rescheduled. On the girls' side tonight, a very uh, light slate: Petersburg is at East Hardy. In the NBA, the Wizards hosted the Bucks last night trying to snap a two-game slide.
2: Middleton top of the circle. Lob to Giannis, caught it, slam it. Middleton to the rim. Giannis with the pack. 123-114.
1: The call on WTMJ. Triple double for Giannis, 31 points, 15 boards, 10 assists as the Bucks beat the Wiz 133-122 in DC. Bradley Beal had 37 points for the Wizards, who have not won since the All-Star break. On the ice last night, the Capitals were in Buffalo taking on
2: the last-place Sabres. Along now to Reinhardt. Jensen with a clear ahead, and it's a breakaway. In is Sprong. One on none. He shoots and scores. Oh, what a play ahead to Sprong. It's 4-0 Washington. John Walton, the
1: call on the Capitals' radio network, 6-0 the final As Washington runs its win streak to five games, Alex Ovechkin did it again. He had a goal, which was career goal number 717, moving him into a tie for sixth place on the all-time goals list, tying him with Phil Esposito. Uh, He is also now one point shy of 1,300 for his career. Elsewhere, the Penguins ran their win streak to six games, With a 4-1 win over the Bruins in Pittsburgh, Evgeny Malkin, he made some history last night. He had a goal and assist for the Pens, becoming the third Russian-born player to reach 1,100 points. In the NHL, the other two, of course, Ovechkin and Sergei Fedorov. Tristan Jari made a season-high 42 saves for Pittsburgh. Tonight, Pens and Bruins back at it again in Pittsburgh. The Capitals are hosting the first-place Islanders. Catch the game right here on this very station pregame at 645. And in Major League Baseball, spring training action, the Orioles hammered the Pirates 12-3. Freddie Galvis, Austin Hayes, and Jermiah Jones all homered for the O's. Key Brian Hayes homered for the Bucs and the Nationals. Lost to the Cardinals 4-2. Ryan Zimmerman hit a two-run homer for Washington. Also yesterday, the Nationals announced they will welcome fans back to Nationals Park for the 2021 season, beginning with opening day on April 1st. Now, there will be, of course, social distance, safety, health measures put in place. There will be what they called severe capacity limitations. So the Nationals will offer ticket priority to Nats Plus members, uh, based on tenure and ticket package so you know don't expect to walk up to the window anytime soon but it's a start right it's a start some fans better than no fans I also saw the Nationals said they will not uh they will not sell physical tickets this year it'll all be digital So they'll email you your tickets, or you can download them from somewhere. No actual physical ticket to be presented at the gate, which makes sense. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so NFL free agency. Yesterday was the very first day. And uh, as I mentioned (laughs) at the top of the show, a flurry. It wasn't even a flurry. It was a blizzard of activity. Ravens, Steelers, and the Washington Fighting Riveras all either adding or subtracting. To me, the most interesting one is in Washington. A source told Adam Schefter that Washington was adding a little magic to its quarterback room. A little Fitz magic, that's right. Veteran QB Ryan Fitzpatrick will reportedly sign a one year deal worth ten million bucks that could grow to twelve million with incentives. With more, here's ESPN Washington reporter John Kime.
3: Washington bought itself time by landing Ryan Fitzpatrick to start a quarterback this season. What they haven't yet done is find a long term solution at the position a quest that will remain ongoing. But as one NFC assistant coach told me, it's a good signing because Fitzpatrick can be productive until they figure it out and they won't be wasting a good defense. Fitzpatrick has thrown a combined 50 touchdown passes in his last 32 games and should help Washington be more aggressive going down the field. In cutting loose Alex Smith, Washington lost a strong leader at the position. They needed someone to replace that, and that's Fitzpatrick, a guy who has been beloved in his previous stops. Like Smith, Fitzpatrick has overcome a lot of obstacles in his career to now last 16 seasons. Washington had some magic moments in 2020. It hopes for a lot of Fitz magic in 2021.
1: Now, according to uh, Shefty's source, Fitzpatrick is expected to head into training camp as the starter ahead of Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, which makes sense. You don't bring him in if you don't plan on him to start. And it's really not a terrible signing for the old fighting Rivera's. With Alex Smith being released, they had a hole to fill at QB. And we, we pretty much already know what they have in Kyle Allen. Heineke is still a work in progress. I know he got some folks excited by the way he played in that playoff loss of Tampa Bay. But that doesn't exactly, you know, translate into a Hall of Fame career. And Fitzpatrick, you know, he, he's a nice stop-gap addition. He's automatically, I think it's fair to say, he's automatically the second best quarterback in the NFC East, right? I think Dak Prescott, now that he's signed with the Cowboys is number 1. Fitzpatrick 2. He's got to be better than Daniel Jones and, uh, I almost said Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, right? So just by bringing him in, you automatically get an upgrade at the QB position. He's the second best quarterback in your division, a division you won last year with Alex Smith and a multitude of other quarterbacks. Washington already has the best defense. In the NFC East, one of the best defenses or better defenses in the entire league, and by bringing in Fitzpatrick, and you heard uh, John Kime say now they can concentrate on you know putting some weapons around, concentrate on getting that long-term quarterback. They need another receiver or two. They need speed at the receiver uh, receiver position. They need to get better on offense. Defense looks relatively solid. If they get a couple pieces on offense with Fitzpatrick, again, he's not, you Now we're not talking about the second coming of Dan Marino here, but he's solid. And I don't think it's completely out of bounds to think Washington can't repeat as division champs, this time with a winning record even. Because the East is still going to be weak, the Giants are still going to be weak, the Eagles—who knows about them? Dallas, their defense is in shambles. This is a really good move for Washington, a team who now, (laughs) who now has had 32 starting quarterbacks. Fitzpatrick will be number 32 since uh, the team last won the Super Bowl in 1991, or after actually. It was after the 91 season. I mean, hell, they had three starting quarterbacks alone last year. And I know it's difficult to say that a journeyman QB can actually add stability to a quarterback room, but that's what Fitzpatrick can do. I mean, he's coming into his 17th season. Started seven games for Miami last year. And he was just, everybody loved him in that locker room. And he seems to understand who he is, right? He's the only quarterback in NFL history. This, this is actually pretty amazing. He's the only QB in NFL history to start and throw touchdown passes for eight different teams. And unless something crazy happens and he gets beat out in training camp, Washington would be team number nine. I like the signing. I do. Does it make them Super Bowl contenders? I, I wouldn't go that far. But I think it makes them better. It definitely buys them more time you know, to figure out if their quarterback of the future is already there, which I don't think it is, or if they have to go out and get one either in the draft or free agency, which they should. And I think he's, he's better than Alex Smith. He's an upgrade from Alex Smith. As great of a story as Alex Smith was, Washington was right to release him. And Fitzpatrick is better. And he immediately puts them, again, in the conversation with for the NFC East title, with that defense. He'll be a great leader. He'll be somebody... That you know the other quarterbacks can look up to. He'll, he'll be a great leader for the team in general. I like the move. I like it. It won't get a ton of headlines, I don't think. I mean, they touched on it a little bit nationally last night, but it might be one of those little under the radar moves. And the thing about Fitzpatrick that I love about this guy is, like I said, he knows who he is. And, you know, we talk about from a coaching standpoint, when a player understands and accepts his role, he becomes a better player, right? Not everybody on a team can be the starting quarterback, right? Not everybody on a team could be the starting running back. Or if you want to talk about basketball, not everybody can be the starting point guard, right? You can only start five guys at a time or play five guys at a time on a basketball court. You know, somebody has to be the sixth man. Right? Somebody has to be the guy to go in and do the dirty work and grab a rebound or scrap for a loose ball. You know, not everybody can be the starting pitcher, the ace on a staff. But every staff needs a middle relief guy. And those players who understand their role on a team and they accept that role They are more likely to excel at that role because they know who they are. They know what their role is. They know what their purpose is on the team. They get it. They understand it. They don't fight it. They don't try to pretend to be something on that team that they're not, that they are not capable of being. Ryan Fitzpatrick understands exactly who he is, (laughs) he understands his role in the grand NFL scheme of things. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Even though right now I think he ranks tenth among active quarterbacks with like thir- almost thirty-five thousand yards passing, he's not a great quarterback, but he's better than serviceable, and he actually relishes the role of being this journeyman quarterback that bounces. This is his ninth team, but he goes from team to team. A lot of times, he's an upgrade from the quarterback they already have. More importantly, he's a leader. He walks in there, he commands, you know, respect in the locker room. He knows who he is. He, he hey, he's Fitzmagic. He can go into a team and help. He doesn't try. He doesn't have to be Tom Brady. He knows he's not Dan Marino. He knows, you know, he knows. He's not a great, the greatest QB of all time. He knows that his role this year will be going to Washington, take Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, and, and, and put them one each under under each wing, help them grow in the quarterback room. While at the same the same time, stabilize that offense, be a productive quarterback, and next year he'll probably be somewhere else. <laughs> he knows that which is what makes him pretty daggone good. So I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Good on Washington. Little Fitz Magic in D.C., baby. Come on. So while Washington was busy adding a passer, the Steelers were losing a pass rusher. So the Ravens, for that matter. We'll get to that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio
0: This is the morning rush.
1: As I've mentioned several times on this show, I have a temper—not just any temper. I have an Italian temper, which is always just bubbling underneath the surface. I'm like it's like the Incredible Hulk. Like I'm I'm just always angry. I just do a good job of, you know, suppressing it. But every once in a while, <laughs> it just comes out. And this this old laptop of mine, which if you've listened to the show long enough, you know, is on its last, you know, megabyte. And the keyboard is shot so much so I have to plug in another keyboard. But every now and then I'll try to use you know just the regular keyboard and it doesn't work. And I lose my temper. And I just I just, you know, Hulk smash. That's basically what it comes down to. So during the break I'm trying to type something up. Keyboard doesn't work and I just take my fist and I ball it up and I just I smash the, the laptop. And in the process, I bite my tongue. So serves me right. <laughs> serves me right for losing my temper. And really, what really makes it worse is I have a brand new laptop at home. Right, My wife knew that this this laptop I have was dying. So she got me a new one for Christmas, which is three months ago. And it's still in the box. Because I'm one of those guys who I get comfortable with the things that I've been using for um, this laptop. I'm comfortable with it. It's beat up, obviously, because I beat it up myself. Stains all over it, just keys missing. But I'm a guy who I'll just I'll run something into the ground before I replace it. Like it has to be on life support before I break out that new laptop. But it's getting there. And what's going to happen is, I can guarantee you, I just know it. I'm going to get so mad at this laptop because I'm too stupid not to replace it that I'm going to end up breaking it myself. I'm going to end up smashing it, and it's going to to die. And that's going to be the end of it. Then I'll be forced to replace it. Anyway. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. We can talk about my temper some more, or uh, we can talk about the NFL. We talked about free agency, kicking off yesterday, the Washington Fighting Riveras, a very good signing in my opinion. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a one-year, $10 million deal to kind of bring that quarterback room together, help bring along Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke until Washington can really figure out It's long-term solution at quarterback. If you're a Washington fan, do you like it? Let us know. 301-759-2628 or uh, leave your opinion on our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio or on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush. Now, as I said before the break, while Washington was uh, adding a passer, the Steelers were busy losing a pass rusher. Uh, Linebacker Bud Dupree He's gone. He told ESPN's Jeremy Fowler he is signing with the Tennessee Titans. A deal that will pay him more than 16 million bucks per year. Dupree, one of those guys, you know, he was a first round pick out of Kentucky and really got off to a bumpy start in Pittsburgh. He kind of he had four relatively lackluster years. To start his career. But then in 2019, he's playing a contract year. And you know what happens when players are playing on the contract year? He had his best season in 2019 68 tackles, 11 and a half sacks. So good that the Steelers slapped the franchise tag on him. And he played under the tag last season. And look, he was on his way to another strong year 31 tackles, eight sacks. But then he tore his ACL against the Ravens in week 12 and his season was over. And he's going to be, assuming he's 100% healthy, a good addition to that Tennessee Titans defense. Because they haven't had a pass rusher reach 10 sacks since Brian Arakpo had 10 and a half back in 2017. And uh, Dupree told Jeremy Fowler earlier this month that he thinks he's on schedule to be a full participant in training camp, which will now be in Tennessee and not Latrobe. And, like, if you don't follow the Steelers, you look at this, and you think, oh, my goodness, they lost Bud Dupree. You know, what I just say? 19 and a half sacks the past two years. That's a big loss. But I, I think Pittsburgh is comfortable with it because I, I think they have high hopes for Alex Highsmith, who was a rookie last year. He filled in for Dupree relatively nicely. And I think the Steelers are comfortable with him being the full-time starter now. When Dupree went out, you know, look, first of all, he played in all 16 games last year as a rookie. Started the last five. He had 48 tackles and two sacks. Now, I don't know if he's going to be the duplicate of Dupree, I don't know if he's going to produce just as much because Dupree, he had a a nice thing going with T.J. Watt on the other side. Something he won't have in Tennessee. So I don't even know how good Dupree's going to be in Tennessee. But I think Highsmith, he's going to come close. So I don't think the Steelers will suffer a major drop-off on that side of the defense. Now they also lost offensive tackle Matt Filer. Who signed a three year deal with the Chargers worth a 21 mil? Fowler started at right tackle and left guard for the Steelers over the past two seasons. And I think the Steelers wanted to keep him, but the salary cap just wouldn't let him do it. So Fowler is gone from that offensive line. He goes out west to LA, and that offensive line, he's gone. Marquise Pouncey's retired. Villanueva is a free agent. Man, they're going to have problems. They they did bring back B.J. Finney, who was there. He left, I think, to go to the Chargers. And now he's back on a one-year deal. I don't know how much he's going to help. So right now, the biggest issue for the Steelers is still that offensive line. The Ravens, they lost a couple players yesterday. Uh, Defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. He agreed to a two-year, $26 million deal with the Vegas Raiders. And even a bigger loss, linebacker Matthew Judon went to the Patriots. And the Patriots were extremely busy yesterday, in case you missed it. Uh, Judon will sign a four-year, $56 million deal with New England with 32 mil guaranteed. Now, all was not lost for the Steelers and Ravens yesterday. Pittsburgh did manage to re-sign cornerback Cam Sutton to a two-year, $9 million deal. He was a third-round pick back in 2017. And Baltimore, and we talked about this on the show yesterday because it was the first signing of the day, they signed former Giants guard uh, Kevin Zeitler to a three-year deal worth about $22.5 mil. <clears throat> now, the Giants released Zeitler in a salary cap move, and the Ravens just snatched him up. Zeitler considered one of the better interior linemen available on the market. And because he was released by the Giants, Ravens didn't even have to wait for the free agency period to begin. They signed him yesterday morning. And ESPN Ravens reporter Jameson Hensley says Baltimore, not done yet. With the offensive line the fact that guard kevin zeitler became the ravens first free agent signing this off-season shouldn't come as a surprise considering how many times lamar jackson was pressured in that playoff loss to the buffalo bills zeitler is known for his solid pass protection allowing only two sacks all of last season zeitler fills the void at right guard left
3: by the retirement of marshall yonda a year ago but He certainly doesn't solve all of the questions along the Ravens' offensive line. Will the Ravens stick with Bradley Bozeman at left guard or shift him to center? Will the Ravens add another free agent to the interior of the offensive
1: line or even draft one in the early rounds? And will the Ravens trade right tackle Orlando Brown Jr.? Zeitler represents a big first move for the Ravens this offseason, but it certainly won't be the last move involving the Ravens' offensive line. Now the Ravens, uh, they did bring back a couple players on one-year deals. Actually, three players: uh, Pernell McPhee, Chris Board, a special teamer, and defensive end Justin Ellis. So, just some the thing. The question I have: the Steelers signing Cam Sutton to that two-year, uh, nine million-dollar deal. What does that mean for Mike Hilton? Because I thought Hilton should have been very high on the priority list for the Steelers this year. He had a heck of a season last year, all over the place, making plays all over for that defense. Now, they like Sutton. He's very versatile in that defensive backfield for sure. But by signing him, does that mean Mike Hilton's gone? And that would be just a huge loss. Now, there's also the question about Juju Smith-Schuster. Can they afford – I saw one, one report yesterday where he already told teammates that he doesn't expect to be back. That he wants to be back, but the Steelers just don't have enough salary cap space to sign him. And we have a lot of, a lot of teams in that situation this year, with the lower salary cap, cutting loose players who they normally wouldn't, or not being able to, uh, you know, to afford re-signing a player they nor- they normally would. So now the Sutton deal is done for the Steelers. I want to see how the dominoes fall. And where, you know, if they can fit in Mike Hilton, which I think if they they can, they should definitely try because, like I said, he was really good last year. So that was the Ravens, the Steelers, and the uh, Washington fighting Rivera's action yesterday. There were some other big free agent news, which we'll get to next, involving the Saints, the Buccaneers, and the Patriots were just ultra busy yesterday. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. We're talking NFL free agency. Yesterday was the first day. Now, none of the contracts can be official until uh, 4 o'clock tomorrow. But there's a really, really, really good chance that if a deal was announced, that is going to be done. We talked about Washington signing Ryan Fitzpatrick to a one-year deal. The Steelers signing Cam Sutton. They lost Bud Dupree and Matt Filer. The Ravens signing uh, Giants guard Kevin Zeitler. But they lost Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. And some other big free agent news yesterday. Gronk is returning to a Tampa Bay on a one year deal. Bucks are also bringing back a linebacker Shaq Barrett. Very, very big uh, signing for them. Resigning, I should say. And the Saints, they brought, uh, brought back quarterback Jameis Winston. One year deal, 12 mil and he will now compete with Taysom Hill for that starting spot now that Drew Brees uh, is officially retired. With more on Jameis' chance to resurrect his career in New Orleans, here's ESPN's Lewis Riddick.
4: John Payton right now is hedging his bets a little bit, but he's also, I think, in the back of his mind thinking, you know what, right now, you know, At the quarterback position, he wants to see if Jameis Winston now can go ahead and capitalize on this opportunity and really cash in in 2022 and take another bite out of the free agency apple, whether it be with New Orleans or someone else. And and Jameis is betting on the same thing because they know this in 2022 when they anticipate that the cap's going to go up again, that he's going to be possibly sitting there in line for a huge payday. He's at the perfect place right now with Sean Payton, where he can resurrect his career as a starter, provided that he beats out Taysom Hill in terms of the quarterback competition, and then just go ahead and take off from there. I am of the belief that this, quarterbacks can really improve their decision-making and accuracy, whereas in the past, maybe people didn't think as though that you could really do those kind of things. But Josh Allen proved that this year, that with work and maybe some technique modification you can really improve your ability to throw the football with accuracy from a mechanic standpoint. And with Jameis, it's really just about a decision-making standpoint. I think this is the perfect marriage. I expect Jameis to go ahead and capitalize on this opportunity. And in 2022, we're going to be doing a sports center segment again about how maybe Jameis Winston broke the bank.
1: Interesting. And look, the biggest knock on Winston when he was with Tampa Bay was, of course, his turnovers. Throwing the ball to the other team at a record-breaking pace. He can fix that. He can do some damage in New Orleans. And Sean Payton, he's a good teacher. Sean Payton, I think, can get it done. I think he he could turn Jameis Winston around. And it's a good deal for Winston. It's one year. It's one year. If Payton gets him to the level that he needs or that he wants Jameis Winston's going to go off this year. He still has so many weapons with the Saints. And then, like Lewis just said there, he'll break the bank the following season. But just you got to quit turning the ball over. The busiest team yesterday, and some of you won't like this, was New England. Bill Belichick and the Patriots obviously not happy with how their season ended up. You know, last week they brought back Cam Newton on a one-year deal. Most people were like, "Eh, so what? Newton wasn't very good. Now, part of that was because the offense around him wasn't very good. Patriots took steps uh, steps to fix that yesterday. They signed receiver Nelson Aguilar away from the Raiders, a two-year, $26 million deal. They also signed tight end Johnu Smith to a four-year deal worth $50 million. So there's two pass catchers right there. They also signed receiver Kendrick Bourne away from the 49ers. Bourne, he's only 25 years old, uh, had 667 yards receiving and two touchdowns with San Fran last year. And we already talked about on the defensive side, they signed Matthew Judon away from Baltimore. What was the uh, the numbers there? Uh, four years, fifty six mil. The Patriots spent around one hundred and fifty million dollars yesterday on the very first day of free agency. <laughs> the
5: very first day. Here is Adam Schefter and Lewis Riddick. Obviously, very unpatriot like. They spent more money in the first few hours of free agency today than they have in any other year of free agency, but this was a team that recognized that it had specific needs and holes to address. The tight end position, pass rush with Matthew Judon, the interior part of the defensive line, the secondary, and by the way, I don't think they're done spending money just yet. I think they're continuing to be in the market looking for other players they could bring to New England, but this is a franchise, a proud franchise that didn't make the playoffs last year and went out today and seemingly paid for it in a literal way. You see all the money that the Patriots handed out today. This doesn't include the trade that they made last week that will become official on Wednesday for Trent Brown, who's coming back to New England as well. That's five players that the Patriots have added, and again, don't think they're done yet. And that also doesn't include re-signing Cam Newton as well. So the Patriots have been very active.
3: I want to reiterate what Schefter just said, Lewis. They spent more money today than they had in free agency in the last 10 years. What message is Bill Belichick sending to the rest of the league today?
4: Yeah, the message he's sending, L is this, is that I don't ever want to go through another season like 2020 ever, ever again, which I can tell you firsthand from talking to him in the production meetings for Monday Night Football, that was about as frustrated as I have ever heard Bill as far as not being able to get out of his football team what he's used to getting out of it, which is just top-quality performance. An execution week after week after week. He wouldn't have had that run of success that he's had if it wasn't for that. So he identified the areas that he needed to make sure he took care of his football team, and that is start it on the inside out and build it front to back, take care of the Lions, second-level defense, second-level offense, and then the people out on the perimeter. He got Trent Brown back. Trent Brown is going to play his best football for New England, I promise you. He signs Cam Newton back because he needed to have a quarterback in the fold, and then we'll see what happens here in the draft. He needed the fortified to run defense. He got Davin Godshall. He needed more pass rushing. He needed more studs on the perimeter. What does he do? He goes out and signs Matt Judon. I mean, this right here, this is Bill 101. And then, you know, really, Johnu Smith at this point may be the actual crown jewel of his free agency so far because what has Bill been known for? Bill popularized the modern-day tight end and how they're used, and he's not done yet, not by a long shot. So Belichick and the Pats.
1: Saying, don't bury us yet after just one season. Making some noise on the very first day of free agency. Saying, coming for you, Buffalo. Don't get comfortable atop the AFC East. All right. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two around the corner doing push ups. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland, ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Reminder: several ways to get involved on the show. Our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. At any time you feel the urge, drop me a line. Got a question, comment, an opinion? Just want to say hey. Do so on any of those three pages right there. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance, as we say here on the show, to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. In case you missed any of the last hour, we talked all NFL free agency last hour. Or you miss any other previous shows. They're all there on our podcast page on the free Podbean app. Last hour, we talked about Washington signing quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Little Fitzmagic in D.C. Come on now. To a one-year deal, the Ravens, they sign uh, offensive lineman Kevin Zleitler. They lose Matthew Judon to the Patriots. And they also uh, lose Yannick Ngakwe as well. The Steelers lose Bud Dupree, but they do re-sign a cornerback Cam Sutton. So just some free agency moves there, you know, among the teams that we talk about most here on the show. All right, before we uh, get into the NCAA tournament, break down the West region for you. Let's, uh, let's rock around the region. I want
0: to rock right
1: now. And we start with girls' high school basketball, where Hampshire edged Kaiser 40-39 in Romney. Hannah Alt had 11 points, and Gracie Fields had 10 for the Trojans, who are now 5-1 and one. Madeline Broadwater had a game-high 15 for Kaiser, which shot just 7 of 19 from the free-throw line, which is important when you lose a game by one. Elsewhere, Gilmore County outgunned the Tucker County 75-66. And as we told you yesterday, uh, the Frankfurt at North Marion game was postponed due to uh, COVID issues at North Marion. On the boys' side, uh, Tanner Townsend. Now, let me let me retract that. I don't know if the COVID issues are at North Marion or if they played against a team that had COVID issues. Either way, North Marion quarantine. On the boys' side, Tanner Townsend had 20 points to lead Pendleton County over East Hardy 65-54. Justin Teets had a game-high 21 for East Hardy. In a very, very uh, low-scoring affair, Hedgesville got by Hampshire 32-31. Is that right? Is Is that the final? 32 31. It's like a halftime score. And University rolled past Spring Mills 63 uh, 34. Tonight on the boys' schedule, Preston is at Tucker County and East Hardy travels to Berkeley Springs. The Frankfurt at Kaiser game. It was supposed to be a triple header, freshman, JV, varsity. That has been postponed. Uh, no makeup date set yet. Also, this Friday's game, Frankfurt at Moorfield. That is postponed as well and that is scheduled to be remade up remade up is that no <laughs> remade up to be made up next tuesday at moorfield on the girls side tonight petersburg is at east hardy in the nba the wizards hosted the bucks last night trying to snap a two-game slide
2: middleton top of the circle lobdeon has caught it slam it middleton to the rim Giannis with the pack, 123-114.
1: The call on WTMJ, triple-double for Giannis, a 31 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. As the Bucks beat the Wiz, 133-122 in D.C., uh, Bradley Beal had 37 points for the Wizards, who have not won a game since the All-Star break. On the ice last night, the Capitals were in Buffalo taking on the dead last place Sabres.
2: Along down to Reinhardt. Jensen with a clear ahead, and it's a breakaway. In is Sprong. One on none. He shoots and scores. Oh, what a play ahead to Sprong. It's 4 0 Washington.
1: John Walton, the call on the Capitals Radio Network. 6 0 the final as Washington runs its win streak to five games. Alex Ovechkin did it again. He scored a goal. Career goal number 717, uh, moving him into a tie for sixth place on the all time goals list. He is also one point shy of of 1,300 for his career. Elsewhere, the Penguins ran their win streak to six games with a 4-1 win over the Bruins in Pittsburgh. Evgeny Malkin, he made some history of his own. Uh, He had a goal and assist for the Pens, becoming the third Russian-born player to reach 1,100 points in his career in the NHL. Of course, Ovechkin is one of them. Uh, Sergei Fedorov, the other one. Uh, Tristan Jari made a season-high 42 saves for Pittsburgh. Pens and Bruins back at it again tonight in Pittsburgh. The Capitals are hosting the first-place Islanders. Catch that game right here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio, a pregame 645 puck drop at 7 o'clock. In Major League Baseball, spring training action yesterday. The Orioles pounded the Pirates 12-3. Freddie Galvis, Austin Hayes, and Jemiah Jones all homered for the O's. Brian Hayes homered for the Bucks and the Nationals lost to the Cardinals 4-2. Ryan Zimmerman hit a two-run homer for Washington. Also yesterday, the Nationals announced they will welcome fans back to Nationals Park for the 2021 season, beginning with opening day against the Mets on April 1st. Now, due to, as they call, severe capacity limitations, They're only offering tickets uh, to Nats Plus members or they're offering ticket priority, as they call it, to Nats Plus members based on tenure and ticket package. So they got the okay, the green light from uh, the government there in D.C. They're allowed to have five thousand fans at home games when the regular season starts. And that is your walk around the region Uh, Brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. And actually, they also said, the Nationals, that they will not be distributing physical tickets this year. So you won't actually be able to hold and present a ticket. It'll all be all digital. Either it'll be emailed to you or you can download it digitally or whatever. So, which is smart. It makes sense. All right, as we talked about in depth uh, yesterday... First round of the NCAA tournament begins on Friday after the first four games are played on Thursday. Now, usually that starts today. But with the uh, schedule changes and everything being in Indianapolis and all that kind of stuff, things a bit different this year. So all four, first four games played on Thursday then the first round on Friday. And what we're going to do is we're going to break down one region each day leading up to Friday's first round. So we'll start today with the West region, and then we'll go another region tomorrow, then Thursday, then Friday, and then boom, everything kicks off and away we go. And as we mentioned yesterday, Gonzaga, the top overall seed in the entire tournament in the West region. And right now the Bulldogs or the Zags don't know their first-round opponent It'll be either Appalachian State or Norfolk State who play each other in one of those first four games on Thursday. And quite frankly, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wins that game. They're going to get mud stomped by Gonzaga. As we said yesterday, 26-0 and heading into the tournament. The last team to enter the tourney undefeated. Since Kentucky in 2015, now Kentucky, you know that team lost in the Final Four to Wisconsin. Zags have three guys who average more than 14 points a game, one of the deepest rosters, lineups in college basketball this year. They will have absolutely no trouble moving on to the round of 32. I, I just I can't imagine. Even if this was last year's Gonzaga team or the year before that, I can't imagine App State or Norfolk State uh, being that much of an issue. In the 8-9 game, winner, of course, will move on to play Gonzaga in all likelihood. The 8-seed Oklahoma, 15-10 on the year, will take on number 9 Missouri, who finished at 16-9. Both teams uh, had their issues down the stretch. Oklahoma lost five of its last six games. Mizzou, not much better. They lost six of their (laughs) final nine games. Tigers, they haven't won a tournament game since 2010. They beat Clemson back in 2010. They've lost four straight tournament games since then, including in 2012. Speaking of Norfolk State, remember that? Way back in the day, it's already nine years ago. Missouri was the number two seed, and they were upset by Norfolk State. Big key to this game could be free throw shooting. Missouri shoots sixty nine point eight percent from the line as a team, which ranks two hundred and eighth in the country. There's only like three hundred teams. I like Oklahoma. Oklahoma played in a much uh, more difficult conference, and they look, they they looked really good early on, did they not? I mean, they're projected as a maybe a two or a three seed before that that late season slide Big 12 much more difficult than the SEC Missouri good story this year they're actually they are picked to finish 10th in the SEC this year and at one point i think they were ranked in the top 10 in the ap the ap poll until that late season slide but i like Oklahoma to win the game and move on to take on Gonzaga in the second round in the 5-12 game Fifth seeded Creighton will take on number twelve UC Santa Barbara, the Gauchos. It's one of the greatest nicknames in all of college sports. Creighton was twenty and eight this season, finished first in the Big Ten, or I'm sorry, the Big East, in the regular season. Then they got destroyed by Georgetown in the uh, Big East uh, title game. Galchos won the Big West Championship 22-4 overall, which is quite a turnaround for a team that was 6-22 just four seasons ago. And they come in on a bit of a roll. Uh, USCB, actually it's UCSB, excuse me, has lost just one game since January 1st. And the Galchos could be a team now. That could give Creighton some fits because Creighton isn't a very big team, and both of UCSB's forwards go six nine and six ten. Every year we talk about it, every year it happens. A five loses to a twelve, and a lot of times it happens. A couple of years ago, I think it happened. Didn't all four twelves win in the first round? And this could be another one of those 5-12 upsets that we see every year. Creighton, just 3-2 and two since all that drama with head coach Greg McDermott. I'm going to make the call right now. The first big upset that we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm calling it the 5-12 upset. I like UCSB to get the win over Creighton. Fear! The Gauchos, baby. And we move on. I have, I have here in the four fifteen game, that is not right. It's the 4-13 game. Fourth-seeded Virginia and number 13 Ohio-Virginia uh, dealing with the COVID issues that forced them out of the ACC tournament, assuming they can play in Indianapolis. They are technically still the defending champion. Because last year's tournament never happened. So, assuming all goes well and they can make it to Indy and actually play, they will be there to defend their national championship. Ohio, the Bobcats, uh, they won the MAC tournament title as the fifth seed. And they actually knocked off three of the top four seeds to win the MAC title, scoring more than 80 points in all three victories. Now, here's a kicker. They will not score 80 points against Virginia. Now, this is not, you know, the Virginia defense of old of two years ago. But it'll definitely be enough, I think, to beat Ohio and the Cavs will advance. In the 6-11 game, look out for this team right here. I mentioned this yesterday. I thought USC was underseeded. The Trojans out of the Pac-12, they are the sixth seed. And they have Pac-12 player of the year, Evan Mobley. And they will take on either number 11, Wichita State, or number 11, Drake, depending on who wins. They play each other in one of the first four games on Thursday. There has been an 11 seed. We've had an 11 seed beat a 6 seed in each of the past 15 tournaments. But this won't be one of them. (laughs) This won't be one of them. Wichita State, sneaky good. Drake got off to a great start this year. But Evan Mobley is a beast. He's a surefire NBA lottery pick. I like the way things have kind of set up for USC, even though they were under I kind of like the way things, they have a really good shot. And let's, let's be real. We don't pay a whole lot of attention to the, the West Coast around here. There, there is definitely an East Coast bias. Because a lot of those games are played late. And unless it's a Friday or Saturday, unless you're a college hoops junkie, you're really not putting a whole lot of attention into Pac-12 basketball. USC is good. Evan Mobley is really good. He's a seven-footer. And players like that can cause serious issues for opponents in the NCAA tournament. And I like the way things are setting up for USC Because I think they win that game against either Wichita State or Drake. Then the next game could be against Kansas. And Kansas is having issues of its own. Because in a three fourteen game, Kansas is going to face Eastern Washington. Kansas has the big man, David McCormick, right? Averaging nearly 16 points a game over the last 12 games of the season. He missed the Big 12 tournament due to COVID protocols. I'm not sure what his status is right now. I'm not sure if he could play in the NCAA tournament. Because Kansas and Virginia, the two teams, along with Duke, they had to drop out of their conference tournaments because of COVID issues. And if McCormick can't go, or he's not 100%, that's going to be a problem for Kansas. Because Kansas, look, they struggled big time in the middle of the season. I mean, it almost looked like there was a point where they wouldn't even make the tournament. But they got hot down the stretch because... David McCormick got hot down the stretch. As I said, 16 points a game over the last 12 games of the season. If he can play in the NCAA tournament, Kansas is going to have a short stay uh, in Indy. Now, they still should be good enough to get past Eastern Washington, the Big Sky champion. But it won't be enough to get past USC in the next round. And that would be a tremendous matchup, by the way. The big man, Evan Mobley, and the big man, David McCormick. That would be tremendous. In a day and age where big men are going the way of the dinosaur in basketball, that would be fantastic. But the way things are setting up, I I do believe at last check Kansas had to keep uh, three players home from Indianapolis. Who knows? They might not even be able to play. Because remember, the cutoff is 6 o'clock today. The cutoff is 6 o'clock today. After 6, all these teams are set in stone in the tournament. They can be replaced up until 6 o'clock. After that, they're all set in stone. If a team can't go, then they just forfeit and their opponent moves on. I think things are setting up real nice for USC to make a trip to the Sweet 16. Real nice. All right, we'll take a break. Got some news and weather coming up when we get uh, back. We'll continue this breakdown of the West region. The 7 10 game. A, uh, as they say, a contrast in styles for sure. We'll pick up there when we come back. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: is the Morning Rush.
1: Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. We are breaking down the West region of this year's NCAA tournament. We're going to break down one region each day leading up to the start of the first round on Friday. Remember, Friday, not Thursday. If you're getting all geared up and you're getting ready and you took Thursday off of work to watch the tournament, you're going to be upset. (laughs) Because it's not starting until Friday. Now, the first four games are Thursday, but they don't start until 5 o'clock, which you could have watched after work. So it's funky, it's weird, but we pretty much are used to funky and weird uh, over the last year, right? All right, so we've already gone through most of the West region. Had Gonzaga moving on. To face Oklahoma in the second round. I got the 5-12 upset. I have UC Santa Barbara beating Creighton in the first round. And they will take on Virginia in the second round. I have USC, who I really like in this tournament. Moving on to face Kansas. And in the last two games of the region, in the 7-10 game, Oregon is the 7-seed, VCU uh, the 10-seed. Oregon, an at-large bid out of the uh, Pac-12, they were twenty and six this year. VCU, uh, nineteen and seven. Quite simply, uh, this is the old contrast in styles. Oregon plays offense. VCU plays defense. Oregon had a top twenty offense uh, this past season, and they take care of the ball, which is you know very important. They only turn the ball over eleven point four times a game which is one of the better numbers in the nation. However, VCU generates nearly 10 steals a game and five block shots. They protect the rim. Oregon certainly has the experience edge with three seniors in his starting lineup. VCU only has one. They do have a sophomore guard, however, Nishan Hyland, who had a breakout year averaging 19.4 points a game. This is going to be my second upset of the West region. I like VCU in the game. I like their defensive effort. I still think defense carries the day. They still pressure. Now, look, it's not the the Shaka smart VCU of old. But they still like the pressure. They still like to crank it up. As I mentioned, almost 10 steals per game. I just, uh, there's something about Oregon. There's something about, <laughs> I don't know. Most Pac-12 teams, and maybe it's just the whole West Coast vibe. I, I I just I view a lot of Pac-12 teams as soft, and I hate to say that. I hate to call anybody soft, but I just like the toughness and the defensive grind of VCU, and I think they win the game. And they'll move on to face the winner of the two fifteen game, which come on. Iowa, the number two seed, should have very little trouble with number 15, Grand Canyon, the Antelopes, the WAC champions. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I just talked about VCU's defense. Grand Canyon can play some defense because they come into the tournament second in the country in field goal defense and top ten in points allowed per game. Here's the thing. Again, they play in the WAC. The Western Athletic, they never had to play a guy like Luca Garza in the WAC in that Iowa offense. It's not going to happen. No disrespect to Grand Canyon, but, you know, defensive numbers can be a little bit lofty when you're playing in the WAC. So I like Iowa to move on, as you can imagine, uh, to the round of 32. So that leaves us now in that round. Those second-round games, once again, Gonzaga, Oklahoma. UC Santa Barbara, the Gauchos, versus the still-defending national champion, Virginia Cavaliers. USC versus Kansas, and then VCU versus Iowa. I like Gonzaga, again, if not the best team in the country, And I know they're 26-0. Baylor can still run with them, I think. They are a handful of teams. Nobody is unbeatable in this tournament. I know Gonzaga is 26-0. I understand what they've done this year. I understand that they beat Iowa earlier this year and Kansas and Virginia and West Virginia. I get it. But they're still not unbeatable. Now, will they be Oklahoma? Yes. <laughs> yes. All that being said, yes, they will. Again, Oklahoma kind of limped to the finish line this year, losing five of their last six games. I don't think it'll be enough, again, to get past Missouri in the first round. They won't be able to hang with Gonzaga. So I like Gonzaga going to the Elite Eight. In that next round, USCB, the Gauchos, and Virginia, the Gauchos, and their run comes to an end. Sorry. Sorry, Cinderella, midnight will strike. I'll leave Virginia moving on to the Elite Eight as well. In the bottom half of that bracket, USC and Kansas. I said it last segment before the break. Could be a a genuine battle of big men. Evan Mobley, the seven-footer for USC. David McCormick, the big man for Kansas. If McCormick can actually play. Because he was forced out of the Big 12 tournament because of COVID issues before the entire team was forced out. And even though I do believe USC was underseated, I think they deserve to be at least a five, maybe even a four. Their draw was pretty favorable. Getting one of the winners of the first four, either Wichita State or Drake in the first round, and then getting Kansas in the second round. I like USC to move on. I do. Guys like Evan Mobley, big-time players, NBA lottery pick, they shine in the NCAA tournament. Then in the last game of uh, the round of 32 in the West region, I like Iowa over VCU. I like Iowa a lot. So much so that I have them beating USC in the Elite Eight. Or not the Elite Eight, the Eight in that region, I should say. I know, the Elite Eight is the national thing. I'm looking at the final eight teams of the region. The Elite Eight of the West region. Even though there's only four teams left. (laughs) I'm confusing myself over here. Anyway, I like Iowa over USC in the region uh, semifinals. Let's put it that way. And I like Gonzaga to beat Virginia. Which takes us to the West region final. And I like, believe it or not, I know this is crazy. People are going to call me crazy. Won't be the first time. Won't be the last. I actually like Iowa to beat Gonzaga and go to the Final Four. Fully understanding that Gonzaga beat the Brakes off of Iowa earlier this year. I fully get it. I understand it. But there's something about Iowa that I just really like. Not that I don't like Gonzaga, don't get me wrong. But Luca Garza, national player of the year candidate, an experienced team. I I don't see Gonzaga. I, I guess part of it is I don't see Gonzaga going undefeated. I don't see them winning the national championship undefeated. I just don't see it happening. You know, since Indiana's uh, perfect season in 1976, Gonzaga is the sixth team to go into the tournament undefeated. Obviously, the previous five all lost. And we talked about most recently in 2015, uh, Kentucky, and that just great team lost in the Final Four to Wisconsin. I don't see Gonzaga running the table. They have to lose eventually. And I think it's going to be to Iowa. I think Iowa learns from that first game. i got to find the score here real quick. I know it was a blowout. I'm pretty sure it was a blowout. And again, way early in the season when they were still playing non-con games. Let me try to find, let's see here. Uh, but i got to consult the bones real quick. Iowa, here we go. Early in the season. They lost to Gonzaga. What was that final score? 99 to 88. So it wasn't a blowout. It was 11 points. But still, Iowa gave up 99 points. They almost gave up a hundo to Gonzaga. So I know it's crazy to think that Iowa can, you know, turn the tables. I just like them. I like them. And so the first region of the four we will preview that we will go over. I have Iowa beating Gonzaga in the West Region Final, making it uh, to the Final Four. So there you go. And and, and another part of that is the fact that Iowa played in the Big Ten. Iowa played in the Big Ten, which was by far, undoubtedly, no question about it, the most difficult conference in in, in the country. That was the best conference. With all due respect to the Big 12, which was the second-best conference in the country, the Big 10 was the best. It was the more difficult. It was the more challenging. And so games against Illinois and Ohio State and Michigan, I think Iowa is just going to have – they're just going to be tested more. Because, look, once Gonzaga got out of that not conference schedule and got into the, the West Coast Conference, psh, it was cruise control. It was cruise control, which I think hurts them. Now, I've talked about it before. They don't belong on the West Coast. They should have went to the Pac-12. They should have found some way because I think for all the good that Gonzaga and Mark Few has done over the past, what's it been now? At least 10 years, right? As good as they've been. They've gone from the Cinderella mid-major to a major player in college basketball. But for as, as good as they've been and for the runs they've made in the NCAA tournament, they've only been to one Final Four. And I think playing in that West Coast conference hurts them because they just don't have that steam coming down the stretch. They had it early on when they were beating Iowa and Virginia and West Virginia and Kansas. They had it early on. But then I think once they get in the West Coast play, I just think they, they lose something because they're just not challenged. I know BYU challenged them a bit in the West Coast title game BYU is up by 14 in the first half, but it's it's, it's BYU. Gonzaga will get to the region final on, on their talent alone. And it is. It's a very talented roster. But then I think push comes to shove in that region final. I think Iowa, because they played in the Big Ten this year, despite what happened earlier in their season, i like them to move on. Because I just don't see Gonzaga finishing the season undefeated. All right. So that's one region down, Iowa, in my final four. Tomorrow, we'll break down the south region where Baylor is a number one seed for the first time in school history. All right, one final break. Come back and wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Tony, seeing the big chat, I'll tell you what, not a moment too soon, because after I am done here today, I'm heading across the hall. I'm putting the show up on our podcast page on the free Podbean app. Then I'm heading out to get my first uh, vaccine shot. My first COVID vaccine shot. I cannot wait. I am pumped. I am hyped. I am stoked. I'm ready to go. Roll up my sleeve and let's go. Hold on one second. Jesus. Phone. (laughs) We have two phones in this studio. We have the one that I take calls on, 301-759-2628. Then we just have a regular uh, headset, which I usually mute, which I did not this morning. So if you heard that, that's what you heard. Anyway, uh, we're talking NCAA tournament last segment and breaking down the West region. Again, we're going to break down one region each day leading up to uh, Friday's first round. Some more news out of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Multiple referees have been sent home already due to a positive COVID test and contact tracing. One official tested positive yesterday, and he had interacted with five other officials, so all six have been sent home. Four of the referees have been replaced from a pool of reserve refs uh, two will not be replaced so there you go I guess and look you, know, you hate to have anybody test positive or you know any anything like that I guess it's better to catch it yesterday before the games start on Friday or actually Thursday right it says the NCAA has a total of 60 uh referees in Indianapolis so I guess it's down to 58 now because two weren't replaced I'm telling you, it's only a matter of time. We're gonna have a team drop out. If not by the six o'clock deadline today, it's gonna to happen sometime uh during a tournament. Player, coach is gonna test positive and there's gonna be issues. I just I don't see how. Even though I know it's all in one controlled environment in Indianapolis, I I don't see how all sixty eight teams, you know what I mean? It's gonna happen. So get ready for it. All right. Uh before we get out of here, before we ski daddle today. Let's look at the player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about
2: the great. Eight. Here's Connor Sherry. dump to the middle. A shot here and he scores. Alex Ovechkin goes high and picks it up and puts it in. It's six to nothing, Washington. And Alex Ovechkin has tied Phil Esposito for sixth all-time in NHL history. That is his 717th goal. Alex Ovechkin with a piece of history in Buffalo, New York tonight.
1: John Walton, the call on the Capitals Radio Network. You heard the man say it, Ovechkin. Goal number 717 last night. Now tied for sixth place all-time on the all-time goals list. Next up for the great eight, Marcel Dion with 731. Also, by the way, Ovechkin's next point will give him 1300 for his career. So the great eight, Alex Ovechkin, the player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, real quick, the uh, latest AP polls in uh, West Virginia High School hoops. Uh, they are out. In uh, the girls' polls in Quad A, which I still love. I love the sound of, of Quad A. In West Virginia. Uh, Huntington is number one. Wheeling Park, two. Cabell Midland is uh, number three. Martinsburg in a three-way tie for number ten. Musselman also getting some others receiving votes. Love. In AAA, Fairmont Senior. Surprise, surprise. Number one, North Marion. uh, Only played two games. I do believe they are on a COVID break. They are ranked second and Wayne third. And that's it. Hampshire, no love at all, really? There's triple and none? They're five and one? They get an okay. And girls, double A. Parkersburg Catholic ranked first in the latest AP poll. Summers County, second. Wyoming East, third. Frankfurt, ranked fourth in double A. Petersburg, just on the outside looking in, uh, they are, you know, just, I guess, technically 11th. They got eight votes for the uh, top ten. And in Girls Class A, Gilmore County, number one. Tucker County, number two. Those two teams played just last night, and Gilmore County got the win, so number one beat number two. Uh, Pocahontas County getting some uh, others receiving votes, love. Pendleton County did as well. In the latest AP, a boys poll in West Virginia. In Quad A, George Washington, number one. Morgantown, two, Cabell Midland, just like the girls, at number three. Martinsburg checks in at number four. Musselman at number 10. And Hedgesville getting some uh, other votes, love. In AAA, RCB, Robert C. Bird is first. Shady Springs, second. Nitro, third. Berkeley Springs and Hampshire also uh, receiving some votes. In double-A, Williamstown first, Polka second, Charleston Catholic third. Moorfield, just on the outside looking in, just behind Braxton County for that 10th spot in the AP poll, Petersburg receiving a one vote. And in single-A, Man is first, Tug Valley second, Greater Beckley Christian third, Pendleton County uh, ranked fourth. It has Pendleton here as 1-0. Surely they played more than one game. No? Maybe some COVID issues with their opponents? I'm not quite Surely they had more than one. Uh, East Hardy and Tucker County receiving votes for the AP Top 10. So there you go. i tell you, one of the greatest, one of the best sites, if you're interested in West Virginia high school basketball, is uh, basketballnight.com. It's called Basketball Friday Night in West Virginia. And they actually have a show they do every Friday night. And the website pretty much has every schedule, pretty much every result. So if you're you're interested in West Virginia High School hoops, this is an unpaid plug. This is where I go to to get my scores and stuff like that. Because they are on top of it. So it's basketballnight.com. And they have daily scoreboards. Also, a good follow on Twitter as well because they update scores uh, throughout the evening. So, check it out. Just there you go. Uh, don't forget, tonight, right here on this very station, the Capitals, second place in the East Division. Uh, they are hosting the first place Islanders. The Islanders on a roll, nine game win streak. The Caps have won five in a row. So, a big game atop. The East Division, that game will be right here on this very station, pregame 645, puck drop shortly after 7 o'clock. Pens also playing tonight. That won't be on the station. But they are playing. They take on the Bruins again, back-to-back games in Pittsburgh. Uh, Pens won last night, 4-1, going for the uh, two-game sweep. They now lead the Bruins by five points for third place in that super highly competitive uh, East Division. All right, we're done tomorrow. We'll go over high school hoops, some games tonight, We'll go over those two hockey games. We'll break down the South region in the NCAA tournament, the Baylor region, if you will. Earlier today, I had Iowa winning the West region. If you missed any of that, check it out on our podcast page on the free Podbean app. All right, we're done. I'm going off to get my first shot, baby. Yeah! Have a great day. Be safe. See you back tomorrow, 7 a.m. sharp. This is The Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and i am done ah s